That really is our vision as a church. It's to be a place of refuge, a place of redemption, a place of resurgence for our families, but also for the communities that God has placed around us, that they would experience the love of Jesus, the care of Jesus through us. But not only that, as, as we serve people in our lives, God uses those opportunities to shape us, to shape us to be more like him. Because our, our entire lives are all about this refining process that God brings his children through. Just like a child who grows up in a healthy home experiences uh, the encouragement and the teachings and even the discipline of his or her parents. Right? God is encouraging us, training us, even disciplining us as he reveals sin in our lives, as he reveals destructive habits in our lives so that we can deal with them through the power of the Spirit. Because he knows that sin in our lives, uh, it brings pain. It brings heartache uh, that can be avoided. But not only that, but God wants us to experience a, a deeper, a deeper joy and a deeper fruitfulness in our lives as he, as he shapes us, as he refines us to be more like Jesus. Maybe right now, right, you're sensing, you're seeing the refining work, the disciplining work of God in your life where he's removing certain destructive habits, and it's, it's painful. And maybe at times we think the discipline of the Lord maybe is kind of unnecessary, kind of like a splinter, a tiny splinter that's stuck in your finger. It's not that big of a deal. Why does, why does God have to shake these things up in my life? feels like just a little splinter. Well, just recently, uh, and Trisha and I were talking about this, uh, she was grabbing for something in the hallway, and as she was grabbing to pick something up in our hallway, her finger brushed up against the wall, and a, a splinter wedged between her fingernail. And, and she was telling me it, it hurt so much, even though it was so small. She tried to get it out, and we got some of it out, but we could see that there were still a couple fragments in her finger. So we were like, well, what do we do? Like, do we try to keep trying to dig it out? Do we make a doctor appointment? It doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But we're like, no, we should, we should call the doctor. So called the doctor, uh, uh, and... They didn't have the instruments to, to remove the splinter. So long story short, she ended up having to go to the ER to get out splinters in her finger because we didn't want it to get infected. Right? Something so small required removal or else there was that potential of greater damage and greater harm. See, God does that in our lives as well. Right? He removes the sin that are, that's stuck in our lives because he knows, right, if it doesn't get removed, it'll infect others around us. It'll affect our lives even more and, in fact, already does. But here's the thing, right, that removing, or that removing of the sin, that refining that God does in our lives, it's not only to stop the destruction that it can cause, but it's also so that we could um, fulfill the purposes of God that he has for us, that we would not be restricted by that sin in our lives, just like how a finger could be restricted by the pain that a splinter can cause. And we're all probably going through some growing pains right now, and we won't stop. We won't, that pain won't stop until we see Jesus face to face and we are made complete. And so this morning, we're going to be encouraged that this painful discipline 
that we face in our lives, this refining process that God has for us, uh, it's for our good. And we're going to see that as we continue our study in Joshua. So um, we're in Joshua chapter 7. And here's where we're at, right, is, is we've been looking at God, right, he, he used Israel in this particular time of history to judge the wicked nations that were around them. God was also fulfilling his promise to Abraham made hundreds of years ago that he would bring his descendants back into the land that God promised to give them. So Israel right now that we're reading in Joshua is God's instrument of divine judgment on these wicked cities. So last week we read how Joshua, he conquered uh, Jericho, the wicked city of Jericho. And uh, they were given years and years, hundreds of years to repent and to turn to, to God, but they, they didn't. They continued in their rebellious ways. And so God miraculously collapsed the walls of Jericho and Joshua and their army conquered that city. And so judgment was brought down upon the city of Jericho. In, in this chapter, we're going to read about the, the smaller city of Ai. But here's the issue, right? The issue is, we're going to see is not just that there was, there was sin going on in Ai and wickedness, but there was also sin and wickedness going on in Israel. Two. So let's, let's get into verse 1 in chapter 7. The Israelites, however, were unfaithful regarding the things set apart for destruction. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of what was set apart, and the Lord's anger burned against the Israelites. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and scout the land. So the Lord went up, or so the men went up and scouted Ai. After returning to Joshua, they reported to him, Don't send all the people, but send 2,000 or 3,000 men to attack Ai. Since the people of Ai are so few, don't wear out all our people there. So about 3,000 men went up there, but they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of them and chased them from outside the city gates to the quarries, striking them down on the descent. And as a result, the people lost heart. So this is a completely different scenario than Jericho, right? Here, Israel loses a battle. And they were probably thinking, right, ah, right, and Joshua says it, we, we don't need to send the whole army, right? We just need to send a couple thousand, maybe 3,000 people. Should be easy, simple. Uh, Jericho, right, after Jericho, and, and winning that battle, I think Israel probably thought, they probably saw themselves like the New England Patriots when they had Tom Brady, where, where whoever they're playing, they're going to win. No need to try that hard. But they lost the battle. They were more like the Patriots after Tom Brady left them, right? They got, they got lit up by AI. 36 Israelite soldiers died. And the rest of them, right, 3,000, about 3,000, ran away. Right, this was a city in AI that was less powerful less populated than Jericho. And what we see here is an example of when God's people don't have God's favor, what seems easy becomes difficult. While in Jericho, when you have God's favor, what seems impossible is made easy because of the Lord. See, the issue here, why they lost this battle, wasn't because AI soldiers were real skilled, it wasn't because of AI's military strategies. The issue was that the Lord was against them because someone in their own group took something that was forbidden. 
But not only that, right? Not only did they lose the battle, but it says here at the end of that verse that the people of Israel, they lost heart. And in the previous chapters of Joshua, that phrase describes the surrounding nations facing judgment, that they lost heart. In other words, Israel was becoming like the wicked nations that were around them facing God's judgment. But why? Well, we'll get into the details, but let's see Joshua's response in verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening, as did the elders of Israel. They all put dust on their heads. O Lord God, Joshua said, why did you bring, ever bring these people across the Jordan to hand us over to the Amorites for our destruction? If only we had been content to remain on the other side of the Jordan. What can I say, Lord, now that Israel has turned its back and run from its enemies? When the Canaanites and all who live in the land hear about this, they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. Then what will you do about your great name? All right, so Joshua, he probably doesn't know why they lost the battle. He, he probably doesn't know that, that Achan had did things, right, stolen things that he wasn't supposed to take. So this was Joshua's response, right? He he doesn't decide, all right, we're going to have another go at this battle. No, he turns to the Lord when he experiences defeat. And it's hard to say. Like, I've been reading different, different views on this. Some people think Joshua is, you know, he's just in distress. And in a good way, he's just calling out to the Lord. He's, he's saying a prayer similar to Moses when, when, when they experience his defeat. And so some people see Joshua in a positive light here, saying, look, he's turning to the Lord. Other people don't see it like that. They, they see Joshua kind of like manipulating God showing unbelief in the Lord because he should already know that God had promised him the land, but here Joshua, maybe he's showing some doubt. Maybe we see here that Joshua isn't as stellar as a leader as we think he is. But whatever the case, right, he turns to the Lord, right, and in desperation calls out to him. And this is the Lord's response in verse 10. And the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. Why have you fallen face down? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant that I appointed for them. They have taken some of what was set apart. They have stolen, deceived, and put these things with their own belongings. This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They will turn their backs and run from their enemies because they have been set apart for destruction. I will no longer be with you unless you remove from among you what is set apart. Go and consecrate the people. Tell them to consecrate themselves for tomorrow. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are things that are set apart among you, Israel. You will not be able to stand against your enemies until you remove what is set apart. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord selects is to come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord selects is to come forward family by family. The family the Lord selects is to come forward man by man. The one who is caught with the things set apart must be burned along with everything that he has because he violated the Lord's covenant and committed an outrage in Israel. So Joshua finds out, okay, here's why they could not defeat Ai. Right? It was this one man's sin. And Joshua is told by God that this sin must be judged and must be punished. God cares about the holiness of not just an individual, not just the holiness of one family, but he cares about the holiness of the entire people of God. He cares about corporate holiness. And the Lord reveals who violated the covenant. It's a man named Achan. And so, verse 16, Joshua got up in the, early in the morning. He had Israel come forward tribe by tribe. And the tribe of Judah was selected. And so the next few verses, um, 
the process goes on and on, and the Lord reveals little by little who this person is. So let's go to verse 19. So Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and make a confession to him. I urge you, tell me what you have done. Don't hide anything from me. Achan replied to Joshua, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I did. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Babylon, five pounds of silver, and a bar of gold weighing a pound and a quarter, I coveted them and I took them. You can see for yourself. They are concealed in the ground under my tent with silver under the cloak. So, the, so Joshua sent messengers who ran to the tent, and there was a the cloak concealed in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from inside the tent, brought them to Joshua and the Israelites, and spread them out in the Lord's presence. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the cloak, the bar of gold, his son's daughters, his ox, donkey, and sheep, his tent, all that, that he had and belonged to them in the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought us trouble? Today the Lord will bring you trouble. So all Israel stoned them to death. They burned their bodies, threw stones on them, and raised over him a large pile of rocks that remain still today. When the Lord turned from his burning anger, therefore that place is called the Valley of Achor, still today. That word Achor means trouble, the Valley of Trouble, still today. This is a heavy passage, right? I'm sure, right, if you've read this before, Right, you wrestle through, right? wrestle through, and you read this for the first time, right? You're, you you wrestle through it, right? We feel right this weight of sin and judgment, right? Where Achan and his family are put to death because Achan took things that were forbidden, and maybe if you read this for for the first time, or a, as you read this, maybe your your thoughts, right? First thing, man, like God just seems really harsh. Uh, really maybe stingy even with his stuff that, that Aiken took. He almost seems like a crime boss that uh, you know, is making sure that none of his henchmen uh, are po- not pocketing any of the cash that he has and he owns. But right, the Bible teaches us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Right? God is not stingy for his stuff. It's not about stinginess. This is about protecting Israel from becoming like the surrounding nations who are deserving of God's judgment because of their idolatry. See, Achan wasn't a father who was stealing food to feed his family. Uh, This is about a man that was deliberately disregarding God's command by taking riches that were forbidden. And Achan's not guilt-stricken about it. He's not repentant. Right, he, he was forced to fess up because as they were going from tribe to tribe, there was opportunities, a lot of opportunities for Achan to say, you know what, it was me. But it had to come all the way down to where he could not hide any longer. But not only that, his family was probably complicit with it as well. Right? They didn't have a large home for him to bring this stuff and, and hide it in a room somewhere from his family. Right? They were in tents. So the family probably knew that he took the stuff he wasn't supposed to take and he was hiding them. And no one said anything. And here's what I want us to see here is as Aiken describes what he did, it's a very similar pattern to what we read about in the Garden of Eden 
when Adam and Eve violated God's covenant to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? Adam and Eve, if you remember the account, they saw the fruit, they desired it, they ate it, and when they realized what they had done, they hid themselves. But look what Achan says in the text. Very similar. Achan said, I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Babylon, five pounds of silver, and a gold bar weighing a pound and a quarter. I coveted them, and I took them. Right? Very similar to Adam and Eve. Both were the examples of a great fall. A great fall. And then Achan hid them under his tent. Adam and Eve did hide in as well, right? When they hid from the Lord. And in both cases, it ended up in death. The account, the account of Achan that we read about, it's not just about the judgment of one person. It's not just about the judgment of one family. Right? It's about the judgment that we all deserve because we've all violated God's covenant. We've all broken God's commands. And that's why Jesus had to come and to take our place. Well, after this sin is dealt with, the Lord encourages Joshua to take the city. Look at chapter 8 and verse 1. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid or discouraged. Take all the troops with you and go and attack Ai. Look, I have handed over to you the king of Ai, his people, city, and land. Treat Ai and its king as you did Jericho and its king, except you may plunder its spoil and livestock for yourselves. Set in ambush behind the city. Now, we're not going to read through this entire chapter. You can read that on your own. But as, you, as, as you'll look at later in, in the chapter, God gives them victory over Ai. And something interesting to note is for Ai, he actually gives them a military strategy on how to defeat Ai. With Jericho, there wasn't a real military strategy, right? The walls came down as they marched around the city. Here, God gave them a military strategy. But in both cases, the victory came from the Lord. And then Joshua deals with the king, the wicked king of Ai. In verse 28, it says, Joshua burned Ai and left a permanent ruin. Still desolate today, he hung the body of the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset, Joshua commanded that they take his body down from the tree. They threw it down at the entrance of the city gate, put a large pile of rocks over it, which still remains today. Right, so th this wicked king of Ai, he was judged. And, and I think the, the author of Joshua wants us to notice a very similar pattern here. Both the king of Ai and Achan experienced the same type of judgment. They were put to death, and they were buried under a large pile of rocks. They were both rebels against God. And I think what this teaches us is God's judgment is not based upon ethnicity. It's not about ethnicity. Whether you're a part of Israel, like Achan, or whether you're outside of Israel, like the king of Ai, both rebelled against God, and both deserve God's judgment. Right? Everyone is deserving of God's judgment because all humanity has turned from him. Again, that's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the Lord. And we're going to kind of see that, I think, foreshadowed in this next part in Joshua. Let's look at verse 30. At that time, Joshua built an altar on Mount Ebal to the Lord. 
the God of Israel, just as Moses, the Lord's servant, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stone on which no iron tool had been used. And they offered burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings on it. There, there on the stones, Joshua copied the law of Moses, which he had written in the presence of the Israelites. All Israel, resident alien and citizen alike, with all their elders, officers, and judges, stood on either side of the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, facing the Levitical priest who carried it. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim and half on the front of Mount Ebal. As Moses the Lord's servant had commanded earlier concerning blessing the people of Israel, after Afterwards, Joshua read aloud all the words of the law, the blessings as well as the curses, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read because the entire assembly of Israel, including the women, the dependents, and the resident aliens who lived among them. So what's going on here, right? So after they defeat Ai, Joshua gathers the people together to recommit themselves to the Lord. They're reminded of the covenant, right? This commitment that was made and that was given to Moses, which explained to them the blessings of obedience and the curses of disobedience. And we shouldn't miss that, right? Th- that as they, they were sat under this covenant, there was sacrifices to the Lord that was being made. And in this covenant, it wasn't just Israel. We just saw at the end of this chapter that there were resident aliens among them, right? Non-Israelites who were a part of God's people. In other words, right, God's people came under the covenant while there were sacrifices, and the people included both Jews and Gentiles. I believe this scene points us to the true sacrifice of Jesus. He brought us together as one people, Jew and Gentile, into his family through not animal sacrifices, but through the death, his death on the cross. We don't live under the old covenant like Joshua and the people, but we are under the new covenant that was instituted by the blood of Jesus. Jesus is our greater Joshua who defeated sin, Satan, and death for us. And so, how do we live then in, in light of this? Joshua 7, Joshua chapter 8, right? We're not military soldiers. We're not about to go up against a city uh, like Ai. We're not under the old covenant like these Israelites were under the old covenant. But this is God's word. And we can still be shaped by the truth in these chapters. God is refining Israel. He's bringing them into the land and also dealing with sin so that they could both enjoy the land but also enjoy the Lord. Well, the Lord does the same thing with us. He refines us and removes sin in our lives. So how do we respond then to the refining process of God that he has in our lives? Well, three encouragements for us. First is this, is we are to put sin to death. We need to put sin to death in our lives. Romans 8.13 says, Because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Right? God has already given us salvation. He has already brought us into his family through our faith in Christ. And now he's in this process of making us more like Jesus. And that process includes... Us participating with him by putting sin to death in our lives by the power of the Spirit. That's God's view of sin. 
that it needs to be judged. It needs to be put to death because sin is dangerous. It's infectious. It's deadly. It might look like a splinter, but it'll turn into an infection. That's what the story of Achan, the account of Achan teaches us. That sin, right, is deserving of judgment. That sin is way more serious than we think it is. Because at times, right, we don't see sin that way. We kind of take sin lightly. Author Dale Ralph Davis, he writes something helpful here. Here's what he says about this account. Our problem here is sinners that we are, we don't think breaking Yahweh's covenant is all that big of a deal. We really cannot understand God's wrath because sin does not bother us much. That's why we can't understand Jesus when he tells us we should be willing to go to extreme, any extreme to avoid sin, plucking out your eye, right, cutting off your hand. It is baffling to us because we do not share Jesus' alarm over sin. The testimony of Joshua 7 is that we cannot treat cancer with vitamin pills. It requires radical surgery. We may think cancer is not that big a deal, but that does not alter God's estimate. It's powerful, yeah? You cannot treat cancer with vitamin pills, right? Sin has to be dealt with. That's why there was the cross. And the good news, right, is God has given us his Holy Spirit to empower us to put sin to death in our lives. That means we're free from having to give in to temptation. We're free from being enslaved to our selfish ambitions, from our selfish desires. We're free to honor God with our bodies, with our hearts, with the resources he's given us. God was refining Israel to prepare them to enter the land and to enjoy the land, to enjoy him. God is refining us to make us more like Jesus so that we could enjoy Jesus and reflect the love of Jesus to those around us. You know, and sometimes in this process of refining and putting sin to death, right, we need help. We need help. And that's why God has given us each other. The Bible tells us that we are to carry one another's burdens, that we are to pray for one another so that we may be healed. And so God often brings freedom and healing as we rely on him through the church family that he has given us. So we're to put sin to death. And here's the thing, right? Oftentimes our sin is hidden, right? We don't see it. And it's only in those situations where we really want something and God doesn't give it to us that that sin in our lives begins to come to light. And that's what the second encouragement I want to encourage us with in this text is in, in this refining process that we are to trust God's denials. Trust when God says no. See, God promises us greater riches than the things that we know are forbidden for us to reach out and take, even though we want to reach out and take those things anyway. Like Achan, right? His heart was set on taking the things that were forbidden, like the cloak that was from Babylon. 
See, Babylon in the Bible often symbolizes the city of man. It symbolizes uh, the world that is against God, the world that pursues pleasure and power and riches apart from the presence of God. Achan wanted the riches his own way. That's what Babylon symbolizes. It's in direct opposition from the Lord. And if only Achan had just waited, if only Achan just did not take the stuff from Jericho, he would have had the riches of Ai if he had just waited. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Achan's treasure was for the things in Babylon because that's where his heart was. But that's also ultimately where Achan was buried, in the earth. Sometimes we may think, gosh, God is holding out on us. Maybe that's what Achan felt. That he doesn't give us that certain kind of relationship that we're looking for. He doesn't allow us that work opportunity that we think we deserve. Maybe there's something that we've been kind of chasing and pursuing, but it keeps falling through. And we think that "Ah, God just doesn't want us to be happy. We can get bitter towards the Lord. We can almost see God as like that, that bully in school that, that takes your stuff and holds it up high and you're the shorter kid trying to jump up and grab it, but he keeps lifting it up higher, teasing you with it. But that's not the Lord. Right? God is our loving Father who delights to bless his children. And in this process of waiting on the Lord in our lives, he's refined us. And he's taking that, that, that uh, flashlight and he's shining that light on our hearts to expose the greed in our hearts, the lust in our hearts, the impatience, the self-sufficiency that was hidden and that circumstance brought it to light. But see, when God reveals sin in our lives, it's not to bust us, but it's in order to refine us. So we need to trust the Lord when he says No. In those circumstances, we may think we really need it, whatever it is we're chasing. But what we really need is the love of Jesus, who can satisfy us more than any forbidden thing that we're tempted to take. When he denies us, it's because he loves us. Third thing, as we bring it to a close, right, in this refining process, we need to remember the new covenant that we're under. Remember the new covenant. See, Joshua, after they dealt with sin in the group, they uh, were brought back to God's word. They were brought back to the old covenant. They're reminded of the blessings of being faithful to God, but also the curses of being unfaithful to God. Now, if you, if you read the accounts, we know that Israel cannot, they don't remain faithful. They're unfaithful to the Lord. They don't keep their part of the covenant. They broke it over and over again. And so that's why God instituted the new covenant. It wasn't because something was wrong with his old covenant, but the issue was in the hearts of the people. They were wicked. And the only way that, that there could be a solution is, is for a new covenant to be instituted. Because the issue wasn't with God's law. It was that people's hearts had Babylon in it. And the only way to defeat the city of Babylon in our hearts was to overthrow it through the cross. And that's what Jesus did. Right? He came and he lived a perfect life 
on our behalf, and he died on the cross, and through his death defeated Satan's sin and death by his own death on the cross. Through his sacrifice, he brought us into the new covenant and all the blessings that come with being in the new covenant that we're in. The blessings of his presence, the Holy Spirit living in us, giving us the strength to to put sin to death. He has given us a new heart and a new mind that now desires to follow the Lord, that delights in the Lord. He's given us everything that we need to follow him. So we don't have to look out into the world. We don't have to look to Babylon for the things that we need, but we look to already what we have, who we have in Jesus. And that's what communion helps us to do, which we're going to be taking together. Communion is a part of the new covenant, which Jesus instituted. It's a reminder that he has already conquered sin and death, that he has already given us a new heart and a new mind, that he has already defeated Babylon in our hearts, now has set the kingdom of heaven in our hearts, that we may delight and desire the things of God. And so uh, I want to encourage you, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, to pull out your communion cups. If you don't have one, we have them on a back table. You can, you're welcome to go and grab one as we remember this covenant that the Lord has brought us into so graciously. And it was done through his broken body on the cross. He is our perfect sacrifice for our sin. Because of his death on the cross, we don't need to be buried alongside Achan, but rather we are brought into his presence because of his body broken for us. So let's go ahead and take of the cracker that represents his body. Jesus shed his blood on the cross for our sins, for, for every, every time that we, we took things that we shouldn't have taken, every time we broke his commandments, every time we became bitter towards God because he denied certain things in our life that was for our good, that he did it. Every time we did not put sin to death in our lives, but more entertained it, in our lives. Jesus died to pay for every one of those, and we are declared righteous in his sight. So let's take the juice, thanking him for his sacrifice for us. Another way we worship the God, uh, worship the Lord our God is through advancing the gospel through the local church. One way you can do that is through financial giving. You can do that online or in the box in the back. Well, let's respond now. Let's respond to the grace and the mercy of the Lord as we sing to him. I want want to encourage us to stand as we worship the Lord together through song.